So hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Beyond the Cover. I am your host, John Robb. Unfortunately, my co-host, Jeff Ayers, is unable to make it tonight, but that's okay. We will roll on without him. We want to remind you all that all of our shows are brought to you by Suspense Magazine, so please visit suspensemagazine.com for more information. And, of course, on November 17th, we have our anthology coming out with author Jeffrey Deaver called Nothing Good Happens After Midnight, 13 original short stories that all focus on that theme. Um, one of the authors that are in, in, in that anthology, Alan Jacobson, is going to be our guest tonight. And he's going to be talking to us about his latest Karen Vale novel called Red Death. So without any further ado, Alan, how you doing, my man? I am doing well, John. How are you? I am doing good. Uh, it's good to have you on. I think it's been about a year or so, maybe a couple of years since you've been on with your uh, last time. That is correct. That is correct. In fact, today we had some uh, very special news, didn't we? And I'll let you tell it because we did. it does involve... We did, we did. Um, and it has to do with the anthology that I just talked about, Nothing Good Happens After Midnight. You were actually the first author that I approached when we thought that we were going to start doing this, and you said yes. Yeah. Um, and now it's blossomed into, you know, Jeffrey Deaver involved with Linwood Barkley, John Lasquois, Heather Graham, Reese Bowen. So uh, it's a great book, and Publishers Weekly thought it was a great book because they just gave it a starred review. So we were very excited about that. Yes, we are, and that is, that is terrific. Yeah. As I just found out uh, a minute before the, uh, the interview yeah. started. <laughs> and your story, 1201, is mentioned prominently in that review. You know, that yours, we, we, it's funny, because this is the first time we've ever done an anthology, and so I, hopefully it's not boring people, but this is the first time we've ever done an anthology. And I, and I love music, and I love albums, and I love it when, when artists take the time to really think about the, how they're going to lay the tunes out on the album. So when you listen to it from number one and go through, you can kind of feel that journey instead of, you know, just throwing a random, because you can get the sense when they do that too. So we actually thought about how are we going to place all of these stories in the anthology, and it was a no-brainer because your story is titled 1201 that you are the one that kicks it off. <laughs> I mean, it's like 1201, bam, that's the story that kicks off. We were like, yep, that's the one that's going to kick it off. So you're the first story in the anthology right there at 1201 with Miss Karen Vale in there. Yep. It is a Karen Vale short story. Um, there is only one other Karen Vale short story that I ever wrote. I was just going to ask that. Well, you know, the, my, my feeling was, and still is, that it takes, to, to do it properly, writing a short story is very uh, intensive. It, it's almost as much work as a novel. Almost. I mean, right. obviously, once you get to the editing phase, you're editing something that's, you know, 45 pages long instead of, you know, 400 pages long. So right. that part of it is, is less. But the plotting, the outlining, researching, the writing, the thought that has to go into it, the effort that has to go into it, you know, it's, by the time you're done, you're, you're like, man, I should have sort of written a, a whole novel. Mm-hmm. So well, I've always... Yeah. yeah, and it's funny because some of the reviews said that some of the short stories in this anthology, they're like, I wish would become a novel. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's how I conceived of this short story. I have read some short stories over the years that probably should never have been written. Um, sure. You know, it got to the point where some publishers were looking at short stories as fillers for 
readers so that they don't have to go a year between uh, books to experience their character, their favorite character. It keeps them engaged in that author's work so they don't forget about them. And, you know, there's, there's marketing wisdom in that, but I'll never forget, I once had a publisher say, hey, can you bang out a Karen Vale short story? And I'm sure it was not meant in, in malice of any kind, but mm-hmm. I cringed when I heard bang out a, sh- a short story because I don't bang out short stories. I mean, yeah, I guess if I started typing, I could, you know, eventually find my way after eight or 12,000 words, whatever the shortest, you know, number yeah. of words could be, and I'd have something. It wouldn't be anything good, nothing I'd want to put my name on, but those are the standards that I, I hold out for myself. My name is on this, and you don't get a chance to do over and say, well, you know what, I'm going to do this book over, take it off the shelves, take it off the, you know, your ebook reader, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it again. No, so you, it's got to be right the first time, and it's got to be damn good if my name's going to be on it. So I, I knew that if I was going to write a short story, it was going to be in the same vein as a novel, just shorter. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes any sense. And yeah. So anyway, that's that's the way I approached it, and and I'm very 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 happy with how it came out, and I think my fans are going to love it too. Um, but let's talk about Red Death because that's yeah yeah. I mean, and again, it has Karen, Karen Vale in it, and now this is Karen Vale's. I I forgot to count ninth, eighth. eighth. Yep. This is the eighth Karen Vale. So Red Death, and I got to tell you. Um, the one, and, and I don't say this a lot, because, but the one thing when you do it, dude, that's a kick-ass cover, really. <laughs> it is. That is a kick-ass cover. I, wonder, I, I wish I could take credit for it. I cannot. My, my <clears throat> publisher took credit for it or did it, uh, their, their graphic designer. I had input, but uh, well. it was, you know, when you look at the, the graphics file, and I did have a chance to look at the graphics file because there's a, uh, an autographed, hardcover collector's edition uh, coming out through VJ Books. So I did have a chance to look at the, the graphics file, and there's, I don't even know, 30 different Photoshop layers and, or InDesign layers. I mean, it's just, there's, there's a lot to it that the reader, uh, you know, the, the person looking at the cover doesn't even realize is, is there. But it was necessary to create this, this image, which is very um, emotive, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. I love it. So, but let's get into the teeth of it. So, what did you do to Karen this time? <laughs> so, <laughs> Poor Karen. Well, but, but you know that's that's true, John. Um, I remember when uh, my publisher at Vanguard Press, we were having lunch in New York, and he said, you know, we've we've had tremendous. Uh, feedback from the, the buyers and these were the sales reps that were selling to the buyers at the, the booksellers mm-hmm. so uh, the buyers for Barnes and Noble and Borders and the independents you know they were going like wow this this Karen Vale character is pretty awesome when is the next Karen Vale novel coming out because this is this was for seventh victim and you know so they mm-hmm. asked me that question they want to know when the next Karen Vale novel is coming out and I didn't want to make a a series. I never wanted to write a series because I had seen too many of my colleagues get stale. Where after a while you start right. 
rewriting the same you know story over again, and you change some details. The old debate series versus standalones. We have it on the show quite right. a bit. Exactly. Yep. And so I said to my publisher, uh, you know, I I really don't want to write a series. This was this Karen Vale novel, The Seventh Victim, was going to be my my Silence of the Lambs, my mm-hmm. you know opus, because I had just done several years of research with the uh, FBI's Behavioral Analysis Unit in Quantico. So I really I knew this material and I knew the people there and I knew the right. you know, what my character would would be like and I so I just put everything into this this seventh victim and you know they kind of looked at me like uh, well we want a series you know <laughs> so, uh-huh. so um, I said I'll tell you why let me let me think about it let me take a week and I'll get back to you and that week was really for me to get my head around what series with Karen Vale would look like. It had to be interesting from book to book. It had to be different from book to book. It had to still retain the characteristics of who this character is, but mm-hmm. she had to grow and change from book to book. And her, you know, her career had to change. And she, as a profiler, had to change. And what, how would I accomplish all this and keep myself from writing the same book over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Once I figured out how to do that, I, I called him up, my publisher, and I said, Roger, it's a go. Let's do it. I'm on board. Mm-hmm. And it was oddly one of the best decisions I've, I've made in, in my life just because of I, I am a fan of my own novels just like my readers are. Right. I have to like my novels like they do. Otherwise, it won't it won't be any good. It'll be right. it'll be blech, you know. Um, if if an author is I don't know how you spell that, but yeah, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> it doesn't even sound particularly good on radio, but yeah. it, it gets the point across. We get it. Um, yeah. But you know, it it's got to be exciting to me, and then that yeah. will come out in the writing. And uh, thank goodness, each book that I sit down to pen for Karen Vale, um, they're different, and they are, you know, it's not an accident. They're, they're different on purpose. Do you and, think, and I have a question, do you think that setting has a lot to do with making them different? Yes, I do. Um, Was that part of your thought process that week? Were you like, okay, now if I can take her here and take her here and take her here, then maybe I can do this? Yes. That was that was definitely one part of it. Okay. Um, because, because you know, you take them to the south, you get a whole different kind of creature. If you take them to the northeast, take them to or the Pacific Northwest or Los Angeles, they're like this one in Hawaii, or you know. So yeah. Exactly, and you know, I do a lot of research for my books. You know that. Yeah, Home you fans do. Know that, and some of it is learning the the setting where you're going to set the book i mean i go to these places and i spend time there and i get to know oh you poor thing had to go to hawaii i know it's like (laughs) oh darn you know when i wrote crush and velocity those books take place in in the wine country in in napa people were really you know feeling bad for me that i had to spend so much time in the napa valley i know i know i know i think was it velocity or seventh victim that we first met I think it was Seventh Victim. I think it was. Yeah. I think it was. Yeah. So we've there. We so we've been there from the beginning. We've seen yeah. Karen grow, and now we've seen her grow here into Red Death. Absolutely. And you know, Red Death is 
Um, I, so I knew the story behind it. I knew where I wanted to go with it. Mm-hmm. But the chemistry that develops between your main characters, and in this case, she's, she goes to Hawaii, uh, she's on o- Oahu, and she meets this new detective. And I didn't have any preconceived notions or plans as to what to do with them. I knew what the story was going to be, but I didn't say uh, Vale and Detective Russell are going to have X kind of relationship. I, right. That develops as I'm writing. And, and that's typically the way I do it. I mean, sometimes mm-hmm. I may say, okay, this guy that she's going to work with, he has X, Y, and Z problems, or he's had this history, and that will come out and affect the story. Because in some, time, in some stories, it absolutely has a major impact on where things are going to go. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that, that develops as I get into it, um, because it adds to the story and the depth of the character. In this case, uh, with Russell, uh, it, it, it just kind of is the way it happened with Karen Vale all these years ago when I started the, the very first paragraph that I wrote for Karen Vale, and I had never intended her to be a series character. I just needed an FBI agent in a manuscript mm-hmm. I was writing, and off my fingers came Karen Vale. And I just... I got very excited about her. I couldn't stop writing her, and it was she was funny and humorous, and it just, you know, it was, I knew I'd, right then and there this was going to be a character I needed to use um, in, in her own novel, which obviously became The Seventh Victim. But mm-hmm. in with Adam Russell, it was kind of like the same thing. He just starts uh, trading barbs with Vale, and it's funny stuff, and... It's good because the other part of the story, the story of the killer, is not so funny. I mean, it's, it's um, you know, he, the, the, the killer had a, a very difficult upbringing, and I found it very interesting to study him and to give us somebody who we kind of feel sorry for, mm-hmm. and we understand how he became what he became. That's a, that's a hard thing to do as an author right. so that it comes off as being real and it's hard to have a reader empathize with a, a heinous killer and yet that's kind of what ends up happening and so the the scenes between Vale and Russell while obviously they're serious because they're trying to, to help locate and identify what the hell is going on and, and find this killer but um, they have this um, this rhythm, this chemistry between them that makes uh, makes those scenes special. So all those mm-hmm. chapters in, in, the, in the novel, and I don't, you know, it's the kind of thing where I don't realize how funny it is until I finish, and then I reread the book um, as part of my process, and I. I it doesn't matter whether it's No Way Out, which was the fifth book in the series, also happens to be quite funny. And um, it, it, I was totally unaware that that book was funny until I started reading it. And, right. You know, I just sit there and I laugh and I laugh and I laugh. It's just the mm-hmm. interplay between the characters. And, you know, obviously Vale is the common denominator. She, um, 
she she brings out uh, the best and the worst in people. Right. <laughs> and uh, right. Well, that's the whole idea. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. if if you didn't have a character that that moved people uh, positively and or negatively, it would be pretty boring. I mean, it, well, it's you know. the same thing when people ask. Uh, you know, when when you kind of ask for advice, and I'm like, you know, write characters that people remember. You want people to come up and tell you, oh, my God, I hated that character in the book, and blah, blah, because you still got an emotional response. They remembered that character. Right, exactly. So if you wrote it and you wanted them to be hated, and they said, I hated that character, you're like, oh, good, I wrote it right. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's very true. <clears throat> right. You have to engage the reader. That is, like, number one. You, you, but you, you also need to be sympathetic to the victim. Yes, of course. You know, and you, and, and you have to be sympathetic to the victim in some way. Otherwise, At least one of the victims. I, I was thinking about that, and this will be a, maybe a good time to maybe get, talk about because you, are, you do write a lot about, you know, serial killers. And so, you know, when they say sympathize with the victim, typically books open up and you have a character that dies. Well, because I think you're trying to identify the killer at that point, but it's not a sympathizing of the victim. They're normally, it's like, how cunning is this killer, and what are they saying, and how do they predator their, you know, how they're predatory. So I think the sympathy factor has to come in a little later. Do you agree? Yeah. I mean, there are different ways to do it, but generally I agree with you. Um, yeah. You know, and it all goes to the the proper way to start a novel because you don't want to start a novel where somebody is just beginning their day or, you know, they're driving in their car and, you know, it does right. nothing happens until they get to their destination. No. Yeah, just, just get them there. Where they get to their destination if that's when the action starts. Right. So, yeah, the, the, the term uh, beginning in the middle of things and media res in Latin, and that's – that's what it's all about. You want to start off the book with a bang. So you can't develop the victim in that setting right off the bat because, you know, it, if you're starting off the, the, the novel with this dead body uh, or the murder of this dead body, uh, of, this, of this person, um, then you, you, you can't develop that character. And mm-hmm. development of a character doesn't always have to be boring. It can be interesting in and of itself. But right. Um, you know, that could be part of the story, too. So if you're starting the story off with something exciting, and that is developing the character, and then the character is killed, that's okay. But it, it all depends on how you approach it, how you do it. Um, but obviously, <clears throat> excuse me, you have to keep in mind that it has to be engaging and interesting to the reader. Otherwise, right. the reader's not going to care. Oh, you know, Jim got yeah. killed. Oh, yeah, all right, well, that's another one. Right. Uh, when's, when's he going to kill the next one? You know, so if you don't have some uh, concern for, mm-hmm. for the, the person who's going to be killed or is about to be killed, then, yeah. Um, so, so, so as far as keeping series fresh, we've kind of touched on two out of the three things that I think are the most important, and we did setting, and then, of course, it's that secondary character that has to kind of be with Karen to wherever place she's at. You know, you kind of need to have that there with her. Mm-hmm. And then the third is the killer. That's the thing that you have to keep changing every single time, too. So talk a little bit about the conception of how it goes in your mind of, of how you want to see the, uh, the bad guy. So it's usually the story 
um, and the killer come to me at the same time because the story revolves around the type of killer that um, you know we may be dealing with. If it's an arsonist, that's a very different type of, of individual and a very different type of um, story that you're going to tell. Uh, if it's a uh, an what they used to call organized killer versus disorganized. If it's a disorganized killer, I mean, that's going to be a very different type of killer. He's, he's not going to be somebody who's very bright. He's, you know, going to be uh, not, he's not going to be a planner. He's going to go in, he's going to bludgeon, you know, there's going to be blood everywhere and he's not going to care, you know, but if you have um, the old organized type of, of killer, the old terminology, you know, that's going to be the planner. That's going to be somebody who's bright, who may have a, you know, a, a professional job or a higher-paying job, and that's going to be a very different type of character for you to, to create and to work off of Karen Vale. So, you know, you, if you think in terms of profile, of, of the profile of the killer that you're going to create, that can get me on the right path. This is the type of story I want to tell. This is the type of killer who would inhabit this type of story. Um, mm-hmm. Or I could work backwards and say, okay, this is the killer, which is actually what happened with Red Death. Uh, I knew the killer because of something <laughs> that I actually experienced in real life. And the nice. you know my thriller brain, and we can't say what it is, obviously, because that'll right, cause they'll give it away. But my 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 killer my thriller brain, uh, you know, started the what if scenario, and I knew I had a story there. So, and that so was this is something you were personally involved in, huh? Yeah, it and just didn't go the way that the book. Was. <laughs> it was just the setup part. Correct. It was like no, actually, mine mine went this way. <laughs> the book went that way. <laughs> yes, it was it was uh, merely a jumping off point. And, uh, you know, the what-if scenarios and and questions start filling your head. And um, at that point, I take out my my iPhone and I start dictating an email to myself with as much of the idea as possible, and then I send it. And I do that so that it's it's quick to whip Mm -hmm. out an email, and it's in my inbox, it's in my outbox, I mean my sent box. You know, if something should happen, I can access it. And then... It, it sticks in my mind. So even if I'm not consciously thinking about it, my subconscious is thinking about it. So if I think of additional ideas, I just hit reply to that email and I keep dictating ideas. And right. when I get back to my office, I you know I look through all those emails and I copy it, paste it into a Word document, and then I, I'll have more ideas while I'm doing that. And I start reordering things, and, and a, an outline is taking shape as as we're you know as I'm going through this process. So right. that's usually how it starts the killer is part of that idea the initial okay. idea but but sometimes the story is what i want to tell um and that's the one the next caravale that i'm going to write is is it came from the story and the time and how that impacts the, the Karen Vale and, and how I'm going to tell the story and so on and so forth. So it, it, there's no you know there's no formula to it. It's just mm-hmm. sometimes how these things happen. Um, 
when I wrote Inmate 1577, which was the fourth book in the Veil series. The best one. Oh, love it. Love it, love it. You, know, you knew I was going to say it. Every yeah, time we interview, I always talk about that book. I know you're going to say it. And my yeah. wife agrees with you. Um, it is... It's a special book for me because I have so many great memories of writing it. Set in San Francisco and Alcatraz and spent a lot of time on the rock, uh, worked with a lot of people who used to work there, including... Did you stay the night? I did not stay the night. Um, Okay. Did you ever, did you go there while it was dark, like at night and just... Yes, I've done the night tour. Anything? Um, Did you see, hear anything strange or... no. I mean, you know, they talk about ghosts and everything. I, I didn't see or, or hear anything strange. It is spooky being there at night, though, because, you know, you can see, obviously, the city. But right. other than, you know, some lights. On a clear around, day, of course. Yeah, on a, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> it is San Francisco. Hit or miss. That's right. That's right. Or sometimes you see, oh, there's some lights back there I can kind of make out in the fog. Right. Um, but it is especially when now they would fire. say now I don't know if this is true maybe you didn't hear it though they would say that at night that if the wind was right that they could hear the city they could hear the sounds of the city on the rock. Um, I I did not experience that. Um, okay. I yeah, I guess it's possible. I mean you know if you if all the things are right and it's quiet. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I could see that. Um, I've been on, I've been there on very, very windy days. I've been there when it's calm. I've only been there twice, and I love it. I just wanted to. I've, 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 I'd love to want to stay the night one time. That'd be cool. So the, the only way to do that is well, now I don't even know. But there was. I'll go with you. You know everybody. Yeah, I, I, I would be happy to go with you. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we'll stay the night. But you got it's a lottery system, so you got to apply and. That's all right. You know people. <laughs> I did. I don't. I don't know if they're still there. They probably are. They were. They were lifers. Um, yeah. No, well, who knows what's going on? Exactly. Of course, when we're recording this, um, you know, no one's going anywhere. So. <laughs> exactly. Right now. Uh, yeah. Uh, so anyway, you know, in May 1577, yeah. I just walked into my office one day, and it, the idea popped into my head, Karenville on Alcatraz. It was uh-huh. not planned. I was going to write a different book, and um, and I said, huh. And I just wrote down my thoughts, and I put it aside, and the same thing happened the next morning. I walked in, and more thoughts relative to, to Vail and Alcatraz came, and I, I started writing this outline and it got to the point where I just got so excited about it I had to write that that book in May yeah. 1577 and um, I'm so glad I did because it, um, it it's just it's a great book and uh, is that is that the is that book gotten you the most like fan feedback um, it's close to now if the other one okay if it's not I'm going to try to guess the other one Go ahead. I'm going to do my second favorite, okay? Yeah. So my yeah. second favorite, I'm going to say, if it's not that one, then it's going to be Spectrum. Yeah, Spectrum is a, it's a damn good one, too. Yeah. Did yeah. you get a lot from that one? Yeah, I get a lot from that one. And yeah. And, of course, Seventh Victim. Seventh uh, Victim, okay. And um, I think what other ones. Surprisingly, and I only say surprisingly because um, it, uh, the darkness of evil uh, okay. 
The one right before Red Death. Exactly. Um, in, in the Veil series, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, that one, it was more like the seventh victim than any of the others and i and i it's not even like it it's just more like it it's it's if you could say which one is you know most like it's kind of like that would be the album that should have came out after this album <laughs> kind of yeah that's right yeah it's almost like i went back to my roots of right and that's a good way of, of thinking of it yeah yeah you know because um, you hear these bands coming out like 2017 and they're like yeah okay and um i'll just give it right like rat did that i think in like 2012 they put out their last album called infestation and they said this is the album that should have come out after you know like out of the cellar so you were expecting to hear that sound that's, that's why i mentioned that yeah I, that's that's a very interesting. So you know what I listen to, but I've told you that's what I listen to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, music is very important to me too, particularly yeah. when I'm writing. Um, it, it's a, and it's amazing how the music industry and the book industry parallel each other in business world. And uh, you know, I have long thought of parallels between the two, and yeah, there there are so many ways that they parallel, and yet as an artist, they are very different. And I'll and just tell you, you know, these musings I've had. But, you know, we, we write a, a novel, and we put it out, and it's done. Somebody reads it, and, you know, they've paid once, and they read it once. But yep. with music, every time you hear <clears throat> a song on the radio, that artist is getting paid. And it's like, wow, that's pretty interesting. I mean, that's so different from the model we have. Um, and then you have other people involved. You have the songwriter, you have the musicians, you have the producer. Right. But my understanding is that the songwriter makes the lion's share of the money. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, you know, it's just a very odd thing. I mean, what? it's like, why do you think, and here's another thing so in that same vein. So this is why I hate Sharon Osbourne, because, uh, and I'll just give you one example, because there's the album Bark at the Moon, with Ozzy Osbourne, and it was his um, third solo album, and it was right after Randy Rhodes died, and they brought in Jakey Lee to play guitar. Well, Jakey Lee and Bob Daisley, Bob Daisley wrote all the lyrics, and he played bass and did the lines, and Jakey Lee did all the guitar and everything else. Well, they did their stuff and turned everything in, and then Sharon screwed them and said on the album, all songs and lyrics written by Ozzy Osbourne, giving them zero credit for everything that they did. It was one of the most disrespectful things ever. And that's the, that's the woman that she is, everybody. I don't know how nice she is on The View. I, uh, Sharon Osbourne is not what she thinks she is. So um, that was – so the, now they finally fixed it. Like years later, they had to go to court. And Jakey Lee is like, look, he goes, I just want you to just – he goes, I don't even care about money. He goes, I just want you to acknowledge the fact of the work that I did. And – then, that, then the next album was Ultimate Sin, and he goes, I didn't put a note down until I had all that stuff wrapped up. He goes, I learned my lesson from Sharon Osbourne. So, um, yeah, so that's the same thing. So, yeah, they, the, the writer gets the massive share. That's why there's wars over, like, the publishing part and everything else. You know, Nicky Six just sold all his rights to the Motley Crue. Um, Dee Schneider just did all that to, like, Twisted Sister. So, yeah, those guys sell all their rights, and they get all that money. Yeah, it's uh, that's the one parallel that we don't have to uh, to publishing to writing. Um, we, we it's a one-off. Um, you know, you get paid royalties every time somebody buys a new copy, but it's a different person. 
not like in the music industry where every time a song is played, whether it be on the radio or Apple Music or somewhere, you know, there is a royalty being paid to that artist. And, you know, we don't have that. True. Even I think that's what the whole Spotify and the thing is. But the Kindle, the Kindle Unlimited does give you an opportunity to at least get paid for people reading your book by joining a, you know, a fee, a monthly fee of like 10 bucks. And if, they, and if your book is available on Kindle Unlimited and they read it, then you get paid for them reading it, even though to them it's free and they didn't actually purchase it. So if they read a book, it's like they paid for the book. So there's, at, least, at least there's that for the authors now. At least it's something. It's almost like uh, I try to explain it to people because they're like, I don't understand. I go, okay. I go, you're getting paid for someone checking your book out of the library now. Oh, there you go. How about that? <laughs> you know, right. so every time someone checks your book out of the library, you are now getting paid for that. You know, like that's what everybody on Spotify and people were complaining about, like they didn't get enough royalty money. Right. So. Yep, uh-huh. that's a, that was a good analogy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sometimes I get some right. Uh, <laughs> what are we going to do? But, yeah. Um, now, you also have another thing coming out. I know it's going to be around January, February. We haven't set the date yet, but Suspense Publishing is publishing it, called The Lost Girl. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? So um, let's just say that The Lost Girl is uh, classic Alan Jacobson writing, uh, it is set in Oakland, California, and San Luis Obispo, California, and it involves, I know this is going to be a big surprise based on the title, but a lost girl. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, there's a little uh, Silicon Valley intrigue. There's uh, the main character. There, there are two main characters, and they're related, uh, sisters-in-law. Uh, one is an FBI agent of the uh, San Francisco Field Division, although her office uh, is in the Oakland Resident Agency. And without going through a whole explanation right. relative to how the FBI works, it's the same. You know, they they have a smaller office for Oakland of 200 agents. Um, that's part of the San Francisco Field Division, so they're underneath the, the San Francisco office. And um, the, uh, so this, this agent is in charge of um, investigating crimes against children. And the other main character is her sister-in-law. And let's just say that she's had a pretty rough go of it. And, um, yeah, things, things come to a head. All the, the, uh, the balls that, that I put in the air start to fall and uh, it's, it's, a, it's a very engaging, uh, emotional story that, um, you know, forces you to ponder some really fascinating questions uh, to which there may not really be any right answers, but it makes you think. And um, it's a very, very exciting story, and I can't wait uh, for it to get out there. So. And it may, you know, may end up being another series that I write. So we'll have to see. Uh, we're all, we're all for it. If you, yeah. but I mean, can you do two books a year? Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, you'd, you'd be like, it, it, you know, and if it's and if ours is like every eighteen months, that's, you know, we're good, we're flexible. Yeah, I mean, I, I would not want. It's to a lot of work. I mean, it's a lot of work. It, it, well, it, it would not be possible for me because I put so much into each book. Um, there mm-hmm. just isn't enough time. I mean, I, I right. 
I, I couldn't work any longer and any more to to put out a second book. There's just there's no time involved uh, that that I that would to be able to do that. Um, but I, I did actually try once doing something like that early in my career, and I said, "Hey, you know, why can't I yeah. write two books at once?" Ugh, it lasted three days. Um, it just, <laughs> yeah. I obviously didn't get very far. Um, yeah, you get burned out real quick. Well, it's it's the focus. You know, you get, for me as an author, and I can only speak about me because, uh, you know, all authors are different. Our, our minds work differently. Our creative process is different. Um, our brains are, you know, work differently. Right. So that's why I say, you know, I, I outline. Other authors don't outline, and that works for them. That would not work for me. That's just why we're right. all different. There is no right answer and wrong answer. It's just the right answer for you. True. Um, so, um, yeah, it's the focus that I require when writing a novel, everything, my... my my mind is all consumed with that story. And mm-hmm. to give you, there's two examples I'll give you from when I wrote The Lost Codex. We didn't even talk about The Lost Codex. That was a... Oh, my God. We didn't even get into the OPSEC series. I know, the OPSEC team black. <laughs> but, uh, so when I was writing The Lost Codex, um, it involves travel to, you know, the characters move from uh, D.C. to New York to London to Paris to Israel mm-hmm. and um, when I finished and I remember this vividly when I finished writing the section that takes place in Paris I remember walking downstairs and saying to my wife I feel like I just spent three weeks in Paris again and she looked at me like I was nuts you know like what are you talking about How are you I sure this wasn't a normal book <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that. I'll get to that story in a second. That's a oh, okay. Um, so, you know, I really felt I was so deeply engrossed in Paris from the photos and videos that I had taken when I was there, and studying it all, and reliving my trip, and re and and living my characters. Um, trek through through Paris and all the exciting things that happened there that I really felt that I had been there again. I had gone back uh, for another visit. And when I started, when I came up with the idea for Dark Side of the Moon, which is my last book before Red Death, um, I, I had a similar experience. I, first, I said to my wife, hey, this is going to be so much better relative to research. I can't go to the moon. So, <clears throat> you know, I have a lot more leeway. And she said, you're crazy. You're nuts. There's no way this is going to be easier relative to research. And, of course, she was right, and I was completely wrong. It was very, very difficult because, um, you know, half of it, it involves a special forces mission to the moon. And, okay, my character's on the moon. Number one, how am I going to get them there? So you have to be accurate. You have to know what you're talking about how your characters are going to get from A to B. It's not like you get in a car and, and drive for a few hours and you're there. You know, it's a, it's a three-day journey there and back, and, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of things that could go wrong uh, along the way. Uh, sure. Plus, it had to be a plausible and feasible with today's technology. You know, I wasn't writing an Apollo-era book. This was today, now. What we have available now, what we are doing, what NASA is doing. 
So anyway, um, it all had to be researched, and then, of course, my characters get to the moon, and it's like, holy crap, you know? What do I know about the moon? Uh, right. About the same amount ever the normal person does. Uh, not a whole Moonraker. A little bit, yeah. Oh, yeah, there's... <laughs> exactly. And you know, speaking of that, he just passed away, the villain in that movie. Yeah, oh, well, there you go. Yeah, Hugo, Hugo Drox. Yes. Yeah. Somebody, somebody else just passed away. Uh, anyway... Mm-hmm. Series. Um, and so I felt, I remember going into her and saying, I feel like I just spent six months on the moon. And she's like, you've never been to the moon. I said, I know, but I got into it. I studied it. I talked with astronauts. I, I did, you know, the VR headsets, and I was in the zero. You know, I I know what it felt. I really felt like I was there. So aside from the fact that... See, you just did all that. You don't, you think we're going to have any problem being able to spend the night in Alcatraz? I doubt it. No, no problem at all. Right. No, it won't be a problem. It may not be very comfortable, but it would actually be pretty cool. Well, that's the whole idea. I mean, they're not, I, I, want to, I want to see in that jail cell and see what it was like. It, it, would, it would be very cool. Of course, mm-hmm. <laughs> if, if we turn back the clock 50 years and we were prisoners there, I am sure we would not be saying the same thing. Uh, Hell no. It would not be cool at all. But, um, yeah, so I, I, I deeply get into each book. And so mm-hmm. my point in this long diatribe is that I could not have written two at the same time simultaneously because I, I have this intense uh, descent into my world that I'm writing at the time. Well, wait a minute. Dark Side of the Moon was 2018, wasn't it? Yes, correct. Yeah, so, I mean, it's even been longer than a year between these two books. Well, that's why you've got two books coming out very close true. to one another. I guess that's <laughs> true. That's right. you got this one, and then February, so that's pretty close. Yeah, plus, plus the short story, the Karen Vell Plus short the short story, yeah, in November. Yeah. So Alan Jacobson's going to – he's hitting the road now, baby. He went from Dark Side <laughs> of the Moon, and he finally came out to zero gravity. That's right. I'm, I'm back on, on, uh, on yeah. planet Earth yeah. and uh, dealing with Red Death. Um, yeah. Yeah, so so com. that's your uh, website to find all the juicy information out, right? You keep it all, you always keep it updated. Yes, yep, yep, there's a lot of stuff on there. The uh, Writer's uh, Toolkit is very cool. We've even published it in the magazine. That's right, that's yeah. right. I, Heck yeah. I forgot about that. That's right, John. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Probably about five years ago, we actually should probably bring it back out. That would be a good idea. Yeah. Absolutely. In fact, I got something that I have to add to it. Um, that oh, nice. So this might be a good time to do that. Maybe start like next year. You, you know where to find me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> true. <laughs> That's true. So, yeah. So, again, everybody, uh, the book is called Red Death, and it is book eight in the Karen Vale series. Uh, so make sure you get it. However, uh, now... Is it going to be an audio right away too, or just print and um, ebook? Audio is coming. I don't okay. have a date as to when it's coming. Right now, it's ebook and print. Just came okay. out. Uh, and uh, like I said, the the autographed hardcover, for, uh, vjbooks.com. And nice. Uh, yeah, and then the audio will follow at some point soon. I know cool. there was a very well-known producer, movie producer, who was Ooh. head over heels about it. I don't know. I mean, I don't know where we stand with that. 
Um, I remember there was supposed to be something on when TNT was doing their mystery stuff. That wasn't there. Wasn't there talk about it back then too? Oh, John, John, John! You brought back bad memories. Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> okay, I just want to make sure I was right. <laughs> you were right. You were right. We had a deal so. with TNT to yeah. produce um, a two-hour movie um, on the seventh victim, yep. and the. Executive Vice President loved Karen Vale so much that she wanted to option, and she did option the, the whole series. And the plan was um, to either make subsequent two-hour movies of each book, or to make a TV series in each uh, right. book would be a season. And we were—I uh, was a co-producer. The executive producer was was cool. He was he, his vision was spot on for what I wanted. For Karen Vale, we uh, they they commissioned mm-hmm. a screenplay, and the screenwriter did an absolutely fantastic job. I mean, everything was we, we got uh, tax credits from North Carolina uh, because that can look like Virginia in the winter, and um, yeah, it it was everything was coming together beautifully, and then mm-hmm. the rug kind of got pulled out from under yeah. us, and. It wasn't until That's why I always tell people, hey, I love that your book got option, but just you, when it when it's finally in the can, then you know. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty much that's it right there. It, yeah, because it, I've heard horror stories of it going. It was supposed to be filmed the next day, and they were like, nope, pull it, we're not doing it. And I was like, boom, what? And it was all dead, gone. Well, to to, to add insult to injury, this is the salt that we're going to rub in my wound, John. We had an offer for a feature film for The Seventh oh. Victim at the same time we had this TNT offer come through. And my agent said to me, so which one do you want to take? And I was like, well, ah, I know this choice. And he goes, well, yeah. let, me, let me simplify it for you. If we go the TV route, this will be you know, broadcast within six months. If we go uh, by feature film, Five years from today, we could still be sitting here going, why the hell haven't they put this before the cameras? True. He said, and then you get a new executive that comes in to head the studio, and he says, yeah, get rid of all the other stuff. I want only my stuff. And the right. projects that you signed over to them, because once you sign that contract, they own your character. They own that, that book. Um, forever along the, the contract forever. goes for. No, forever. There is no, there's oh. no expiration. And, and that's the problem that Jeff Deaver had with uh, Lincoln Rhymes and uh, the Bone Collector. Um, so, bottom line is, he said... But they were able to get out and do NBC TV series on it, right? Um, on Jeff's? I don't, I don't know. Because they did that Lincoln Rhymes TV series. So, what must have happened is they made an offer. One studio can um, buy out the rights from mm-hmm. another... It depends, you know. Sometimes, if it's an executive who really doesn't want, doesn't care, it's it's a reasonable amount of money. If it's an executive who says, uh, "Yeah, man, we're thinking, you know, we may want to do something with this," then they'll drive the price up and try to get as much as they can. Yeah. So it's it's hard to know. Um, I've known authors who've bought out, you know, but you're, you could be talking, you know, millions of dollars to buy out the rights to your character. Yeah. And uh, anyway, so yeah, um, I've people had to rebuy their name. So. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. So it's um, yeah, it's one of these things that it's uh, a dirty business. The fans don't see. The fans don't understand it. 
Right. And that's, Fans are still know, complaining about Tom Cruise being Jack Reacher, and it's like, people, when Tom Cruise says he wants to do a movie, the studio says yes. Right. And do you know why they say yes? Because all of his movies make a shitload of money. Right. I mean, that's, that's why. That's why. When, and I think I have somebody on. I had, a, I had an actor on, on the show one time, and he had talked about, and he said there's five people. I mean, it was a big screenwriter or something. And he said there's five people in Hollywood that if they want to do a movie, they get the part regardless of who else it is. Right. He said there's right. five people that will walk in the studio and say, no, I want to do that one. And they're like, oh, that's yours. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a different... You know, so uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a business, and, people, and fans don't really see it, and they don't understand it. Well, but, that's how you end up with, the, you know, the cast. And then they blame you, and you're like, like I had anything right. to do with it. Yeah, and, and they <laughs> you know? don't want you to have I mean, to Lee Child it. and Joseph Fender were lucky they just even got in their movies. Oh, absolutely. That you know, because that never really happens. You yeah. know, Lee got them both, and Joseph got in for his for high crimes, which people might not realize he was there the whole time. He was the... Um, sitting at the prosecuting table, he was one of the attorneys that never said anything. Or he said, like, one line, I think he said. Now I have to go back and watch it. <laughs> he is. Yeah, he's <laughs> the prosecuting attorney sitting there next to, in high crimes. That's him. That is awesome. Yeah, I, yeah. I remember All right, man. Hey, it's always a pleasure talking to you. We, like I said, we could talk for four hours, but uh, we're going to wrap this one up. But we always have great conversations, and so... We will talk soon again. Again, everybody, Red Death, make sure you go out and grab it, number eight in Karen Verrill series. And if you're worried about, you know, that, like I say, read Inmate 1577 first if you, if you had to. Then go read Red Death. <laughs> you can jump around if you want. Don't worry about it. But, yeah, but it's always a pleasure, man. You have a good one. Thank you so much, Sean. Take care. I'll talk to you soon. All right, bye. All right.